Welcome to a dramatic reading of the Vimala Kirti Sutra. This sutra takes place during the time of the Buddha. Vimala Kirti is a pious layman who lives in the city of Visali in what is now the Indian state of Bihar. He has a wife and a son and many female attendants, but still lives in solitude. He eats really rich food, but takes nourishment only from the taste of meditation. It is said that he visits the bedding parlors, but it's only to teach the Dharma. Although he attends the lectures of fashionable teachers of the day, Hindus and Jains, he keeps unswerving loyalty to the Buddha. Vimala Kirti is respectful of the Buddha, but he is not intimidated by him. As part of Vimala Kirti's skill in liberative technique, he makes himself appear deathly ill. The king, all the officials, merchants, and townspeople come to call on the invalid. Buddha and his disciples arrive on the outskirts of the city. The governor and the city officials prepare the capital park for Buddha's camp. But before they can relay their invitation, the chief hostess at the Red Hawk Casino goes out to meet the Buddha at Donner Summit, inviting the entourage to stay with her. Incensed by being snubbed, the city officials decide to ignore the Buddha's arrival. But the young people of Vesali want to hear the Buddha's teachings. They organize a flash mob with their cell phones and take Uber out to the Red Hawk Casino. By the miraculous power of the Lord Buddha, the individual cell phones of these young people sitting here in the Zendo are transformed into an interconnected multi-universe of precious stones covering the sky on the big screen TV. Lord Buddha, these youths are on their way to unexcelled perfect enlightenment. They have a question for you. What can a bodhisattva do to make this a better world? That's a good question, noble children of the Chavi. If you want to build a better world in this flawed universe, you start the project in spite of the fact that it is an impossible task. A bodhisattva knows all constructed beings are empty, yet to purify all living beings, they accept the task in spite of its impossibility. Now, magically influenced by the Buddha, the venerable Shariputra has a thought. If this world is pure only to the extent that the mind of the Bodhisattva is pure, then when Shakyamuni Buddha was incarnated as a Bodhisattva, his mind must have been impure. 
Otherwise, how could this world appear to be so imperfect, full of greed, hatred, and delusion? Ah, the Bodhi knows what Shariputra is thinking. And he says to him, Is it because the sun and moon are impure that those blind from birth do not see them? Oh, uh, no, Lord, it is not so. The fault lies with those blind from birth, not with the sun and moon. In the same way, Chariputra, some living beings do not behold the splendid display of the virtues of this world due to their own ignorance, not the fault of the Tathagata. Then the Lord Buddha touches the ground of this billion-world galactic universe with his big toe, and it is transformed into a mass of precious jewels. This universe is always pure, but the Tathagata makes it appear to be spoiled by many faults in order to bring about the maturity of deluded living beings. Now the Buddha uses his magical powers to return the world to its usual flawed appearance. Alas, all constructed things are impermanent. Vimalakirti, lying in his bed and thinking to himself, I am lying here in pain, and yet the Buddha does not send anyone to inquire after me or my illness. Reading Vimalakirti's mind, the Buddha says to the venerable Shariputra, Shariputra, Go inquire about the illness of the good man, Vimalakirti. Lord, I am reluctant to ask Vimalakirti about his illness. I remember sitting at the foot of a tree, absorbed in contemplation, when Vimalakirti came and said to me, Shariputra, this is not the way to absorb yourself in contemplation. You should absorb yourself in contemplation so that neither body nor mind appear anywhere in the triple world. Absorb in such a way that you manifest the nature of an ordinary person without abandoning your spiritual nature in such a way that you are liberated without 
abandoning the passions that are of this world. When I heard this teaching, I was speechless with embarrassment. So I really don't want to go ask that good man anything. Each one of Buddha's disciples had a similar story. One had been corrected on their teaching of young monks, and another on how he preached to the lay people in the village. None of the disciples was willing to visit the sick man. Frustrated with his monks, Buddha asks the bodhisattvas if they would visit Vimalakirti. But each one had a similar story of how Vimalakirti's critique of their understanding of the Dharma had left them speechless with embarrassment. Not one of them was willing to visit the sick man. Crown Prince Manjushri, all the bodhisattvas have refused to visit the invalid. Will you go console the good man, Vimalakirti, who is sick? Lord, it is difficult to have a conversation with this man. He is gifted with marvelous eloquence and is extremely skilled in the reconciliation of dichotomies. He is consummate in wisdom and liberative technique. I am no match for his wisdom, but sustained by the grace of the Buddha, I will go to console him. When all the bodhisattvas, great disciples, brahmins, gods, and goddesses heard Manjushri agree to call on Vimalakirti, they all came out of hiding to follow Manjushri through the streets to Vimalakirti's house. Hearing this, Vimalakirti thinks to himself, Manjushri is coming here with the whole assembly. Now, may this house be turned into emptiness. Magically, Vermala Kerti's house becomes empty. Even the doorkeeper disappears. Only Vermala Kerti's bed is left in the room. All the chairs have disappeared. Householder, why is your house empty? You don't even have any servants? My house is empty, Manjushri, because all things are empty. What makes them empty? They are empty because of emptiness. Householder, how should a bodhisattva console a bodhisattva who is sick? You should, he should tell him that the body is impermanent, but should not exhort him to disgust for his body. He should encourage his empathy for all living beings on account of his own sickness. Meanwhile, Shariputra is looking around the empty house full of disciples, bodhisattvas, brahmins, gods and goddesses, and he thinks to himself, There is not even a single chair in this house. Where are these disciples and bodhisattvas 
going to sit. Reverend Shariputra, did you come here for the sake of the Dharma? Or did you come for the sake of a chair? A person interested in the Dharma is not interested in their own body, much less than a chair. Reverend Shariputra, one who is interested in the Dharma has no interest in form, sensation, perception, formation, or consciousness. They are not even interested in attachment to Buddha, Dharma, or Sangha. Why? Because Dharma is ultimately without formalization and without verbalization. Shariputra, if you are interested in Dharma, you should take no interest in anything. Oh, it's not so bad, you know. Every day. You look like a shift. Oh, that's great. I think the same thing. Good sir. How should a bodhisattva regard all living things? Manjushri. A bodhisattva should regard all living beings as a wise woman regards the reflection of the moon in the water, like a face in a mirror, like the sound of an echo, a fire burning without fuel, or the reincarnation of one who has attained ultimate Liberation. A goddess. A goddess who lives in the house overhears the teachings of the Dharma of these heroic bodhisattvas and is so delighted she manifests herself in a material body and showers the bodhisattvas and the great disciples with heavenly flowers. Reverend Shariputra, why do you try to shake off those flowers? Goddess, flowers are not proper for religious persons. Oh, do not say that, Shariputra. Flowers are proper indeed. Such flowers have neither conceptual thought nor discrimination. See how these same flowers slide off the bodies of the great spiritual heroes, the bodhisattvas, it is because they have eliminated conceptual thought and discrimination. 
These flowers only stick the bodies of those who have not eliminated their instincts and passions. The flowers do not stick to the body to the bodhisattvas who have abandoned all instincts and passion. Why do you not speak, Shariputra? Now that it's your turn, you don't answer the question. Goddess, how long have you been in this house? I have been here as long as the elder has been in liberation. Then you have been in this house for quite some time. Has the elder been in liberation for quite some time? Elder, you are the foremost of the wise. Why do you not speak? When it is your turn, you do not speak. Since liberation is inexpressible, goddess, I don't know what to say. All the syllables pronounced by the elder have been in the nature of liberation. Liberation is neither internal nor external, nor can it be apprehended without words. Therefore, Shariputra, don't point to liberation by abandoning speech. Is, Is not liberation freedom from desire, hatred, and folly? Ah, that is the teaching of the excessively proud. Those free of pride know that the very nature of desire, hatred, and folly is itself liberation. Goddess, what have you attained that you have such eloquence? I have attained nothing, Reverend Shariputra. I have no realization. Therefore, I have no such eloquence. Goddess, do you belong to the disciple vehicle, the solitary vehicle, or the great vehicle? I belong to the disciple vehicle when I teach it to those who need it. I belong to the solitary vehicle when I teach the 12 links of dependent origination. And since I never abandon great compassion, I belong to the great vehicle, as all need that teaching to attain ultimate liberation. Goddess, what prevents you from transforming yourself out of your female state. Although I have sought my female state for these 12 years, I have not yet found it. If a magician were to incarnate a woman by magic, would you ask her, what prevents you from transforming yourself out of your female state? Such a woman would not really exist. 
So what would there be to transform? Just so, Shariputra, all things don't really exist. So would you think what prevents one whose nature is that of a magical incarnation from transforming herself out of the female state? Reverend Shariputra, what prevents you from transforming yourself out of your female state? I no longer appear in the form of a male. My body is changed into the body of a woman. I do not know what to transform. If the elder could again change out of the female state, then all women could also change out of their female states. All women appear in the form of women in the same way that the elder appears in the form of a woman. While they are not women in reality, they appear in the form of women. Don't forget that the Buddha said, in all things, there is neither male nor female. Shariputra, now what have you done with your female form? I neither made it, nor did I change it. Just so, all things are neither made nor changed. Goddess, how soon will you attain perfect enlightenment? At such time as you, elder, become endowed once more with the qualities of an ordinary individual. Then will I attain perfect enlightenment. But it is impossible that I should become endowed once more with the qualities of an ordinary individual. Just so, Shariputra. It is impossible that I should attain enlightenment. Why? because no one attains the perfect enlightenment of the Buddha. But the Tathagata has said, the Tathagatas who are as numerous as the sands of the Ganges have attained perfect Buddhahood. The expression, the Buddhas of the past, present and future is a conventional expression of a certain number of syllables. The Buddhists are neither past, present, nor future. Their enlightenment transcends the three times. But tell me, Elder, have you attained sainthood? It is attained because there is no attainment. Just so. There is perfect enlightenment because there is no attainment of perfect enlightenment.
Reverend Shariputra, this goddess has already served a million billion Buddhas. She has gained the tolerance of birthlessness of things. She can live wherever she wishes on the strength of her vow to develop all beings. Good Bodhisattva, Andrea. Grasping and non-grasping are two. What is not grasped is not perceived, and what is not perceived is neither desired nor rejected. Thus, the inaction and no involvement of all things is the entrance to non-duality. Good Bodhisattva Simone, please explain how one enters the Dharma door of non-duality. To say this is happiness and this is misery is dualism. One who is free of all calculations with a mind like empty space enters into non-duality. Good Bodhisattva Larry, please explain how one enters the Dharma door of non-duality? Knowledge and ignorance are dualistic. The nature of ignorance and knowledge are the same, for ignorance is undefined and beyond the sphere of thought. This realization is the entrance into non-duality. Good Bodhisattva Brendan, Please explain how one enters into the Dharma door of non-duality. It is dualistic to speak of true and false. When one truly sees, one does not ever see any truth. So how could one see falsehood? One does not see with the physical eye. One sees with the eye of wisdom. And with the wisdom eye, one sees only as far as there is neither sight nor non-sight. Where there is neither sight nor non-sight is the entrance into non-duality. Good people, you have all spoken well. Nevertheless, all of your explanations are dualistic. To know no one teaching, to express nothing, to say nothing, to explain nothing, and to designate nothing, that is the entrance into non-duality. We have all given our own teachings, Noble Vimalakirti. Now, may you elucidate the teaching of entrance into the principle of non-duality. Excellent, good sir. This is indeed the entrance into the non-duality of bodhisattvas. Here, there is no use for syllables, sounds, or ideas. Now that all the bodhisattvas have heard these teachings, you have entered the Dharma door of non-duality 
and attain the ability to hold these seemingly opposites as a whole in the birthlessness of things. Thank you so much for your attention tonight. This is the beginningless end of the Vimla Kirti Sutra and the teaching of the reconciliation of the opposites. I'd like to introduce our cast tonight in order of appearance. The incredible Tathagata Buddha, Alan Dower. Foremost disciple of the Buddha, Mariputra, Millard Volteri. The sword-wielding Manjushri who cuts through delusion, Dave Gerald. Vimala Kirti and our director, Oscar Balier. Our goddess, script editor, editor, and makeup artist, Del Richards. Special effects and sound, Anthony Ferreira. Narrator and producer, Sarah O'Gara. Sara, what led you to dramatize the sutra? Well, we had this hole in the schedule <laughs> that we needed to fill. <laughs> and we had just finished uh, a Thursday a study period where we read the sutra, and it just cried out to be on a stage. Brilliant. Any other questions about the sutra? Well, thank you again for your attention. This was, I don't know who had more fun, the cast or the audience. The cast. <laughs> the cast. <laughs> and thank you, Alan and uh, Dell on, uh, on Zoom, and Andrea and Simone.
please. Um, it was really great to have your assistance from the heavenly spheres of electronic Zoom. <laughs>